0: Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property
1: you can't afford. Pinky, are you ready? How long are we going to be? David, entry. David, entry. Cue Pinky. Go. Start. What the hell's going on? The one bloody floor in four and a half hours. I can't get one minute report out of you on time. Television centre is looking incredible, but not only that, it's open for the public for the first time, so the local
0: community can have a relationship with it. It's great to be in the hub for food, for entertainment, for shopping, a real iconic project, something that's going to really light up West London. we have got all these fabulous brands that will be your neighbours. It's lively, it's got heritage, energy, it's so perfect.
2: Innovation here is extremely important to Imperial College. The Molecular Sciences Research Hub is here, the Innovation Hub has already open.
1: It was really, really important that we were still in central London. Our shows still needed to be easily accessible.
2: Being part of Television Centre
0: just felt really right because from the moment we sort of started to speak about it, I just wanted to be part of this local community. It was the perfect sort of opportunity to be part of the regeneration. A
2: bit of a dream come true, actually.
1: We really wanted to try and create the Shortage
2: House of West London. It's a brilliant area and a brilliant location. I'm bringing 2,500 people from five locations into one building,
1: which will be absolutely transformational for us. It's really vibrant, there's lots going on, gyms, bars. It's part of a culture as well as a place to work. Y-City has turned into an innovation district where we'll see the next
0: generation of start born. There's a lot of new people, new organisations moving into the area, so it's got a very exciting future ahead of it.
2: I think this is just the beginning for White City. I think it's arrived, I think it's ready, and I think it can only get better. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Asset Arrest, a podcast about financialised housing, real estate and its impact upon communities, the meaning of community, ways of living and urban space. I'm Laura Yule, and in each episode, I typically invite a guest to attend a viewing of a residential property with me as we pose as potential buyers. Guests are invited to talk about their own work, to share their knowledge and experience on related issues and to respond to the property that we visit together and its place within a wider urban and global context. This is the first viewing I've attended post-lockdown and it felt strange to be back in the world of luxury property after being predominantly stuck in my own small rented flat for most of the year. In this episode, I go on a viewing with my friend and all-round amazing person, Sherry Shalmi. Sherry is an incredible community organiser and trade unionist and is involved and dedicated to numerous amazing and vital projects and causes, which we'll hear more about in a moment. Please also check the links in the description for more information on these. We go to see a number of apartments in the recently developed television centre in White City, West London, which was the home of the BBC from 1960 till 2013. The majority of the BBC's national television and radio news output came from the television centre. The original building is a circular block and was often referred to as the doughnut. The overall design from the air appeared to resemble a question mark. In the centre of the main block was a statue designed by T.B. Huxley-Jones of Helios, the Greek god of the sun, to symbolise the radiation of television around the world. At the foot of the statue were two reclining figures symbolising sound and vision, the components of television. statue remains but has been moved. In 2007, the BBC announced it would sell television centre in order to meet a £2 billion shortfall in funding. I meet Sherry in the neighbouring Westfield Shopping Centre before we go to the viewing. <coughs> Thanks for joining me in... White City, Westfield, to view um, some property at the Television Centre. We met at Open School East and you are, and have been involved in organising loads of different amazing projects. You work for a union and maybe you can just tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment or what you're involved in.
0: Uh, Yeah, so I very, very part-time work for a trade union, UVW, where I organise the sex workers branch. I also organize a project called the Ant University, which is about mutual education and radical learning. And I also organize a project called Corporation Town, which is a new network of self organized community led food co ops. We started working on Corporation Town in 2019, and this is actually an idea that I had uh, a year earlier and didn't have time to do it. Um, so it is not COVID related. But, um, yeah, obviously, COVID and lockdown and the loss of jobs uh, is going to change things. There is a huge interest in um, Corporation Town, people wanting to start co-ops in their neighbourhoods, on the streets, in their estates, uh, all the way to whole cities getting in touch with us to say we want to roll it throughout the city uh, and and kind of make... um, Food distribution more sustainable, more fair, more democratic, cooperative.
2: You offer support to people wanting to set up co-ops, and what kind of form does that take?
0: So the organisation that I set up is not actually a food co-op itself. It's um, an organisation that was designed to support groups to set up their own co-ops. Mm-hmm. So you know, ultimately, we would uh, cancel ourselves when everyone is self-organising, and we'll just go home. Um, so we, we developed the Starter Pack, which is a kind of simple how-to guide about starting new food co-ops just to give people who don't organise, who never see themselves as community organisers or even being part of a community, um, give them the confidence to kind of look around and see how can I organise here uh, with my neighbours.
2: How has your work with the union changed during lockdown and obviously the impact that must be having on all kinds of workers and I imagine particularly sex Workers.
0: Yeah, so my union uh, generally organizes with uh, precarious migrant workers who are very low-waged and actually a lot of uh, those people, cleaners, carers, security workers, have stayed in work, um, you know, exploited as ever and actually having their lives uh, put at risk Uh, we had members who died during uh, during the epidemic for sex workers uh, on the 20th of march the industry just disappeared altogether Mm. Um, all the clubs all the strip clubs closed down work for independent sex workers people who do escorting or you know working with clients at home or in hotels all that just disappeared um, yeah, and the members that I'm organising with uh, were pretty much desperate, still are desperate. Clubs are not going to reopen. Work for independent workers picked up a bit, but there's still a huge risk. A new lockdown would mean that this is over again. Yeah. Um yeah, and a lot of people are not registered as um, self employed because they maybe were working in other things. Yeah, people are near destitution.
2: So I guess like a lot, if not the majority, have not been able to access any of the government support.
0: People are able to access Universal Credit um so the kind of most basic benefits but the the entire campaign that we're leading in the sex industry is about proving that that sex workers are workers Mm. that they actually have rights like any other workers that they should be able to unionize to demand holiday pay to demand you know a minimum wage and so on so we've actually had a massive breakthrough just before lockdown on Uh, In in February we proved that uh, a stripper in a strip club uh, was indeed a worker, so not self-employed independent contractor runs her own business, but she was working for another business and therefore has rights. All of that is on hold now because the courts are not really um, back to normal. But um, that means that nobody in the sex industry was furloughed, for example. Those rights just do not exist. Um, But, you know, we will continue fighting once this is over.
2: Um, You were involved in a lot of the kind of fights for the rights of uh, cleaning staff before. Presumably, if there's one job people still need right now, it's cleaners.
0: Yeah, all those frontline jobs who are usually performed by... The most precarious, low paid, exploited workers who are usually women, usually migrants. Um, all these jobs are still needed. In fact, suddenly we realized that these are the most important workers, they're key workers, we all clapped for them, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that didn't change their exploitation. You know, people say that COVID, whatever, the pandemic is a leveler. I think it's bullshit. But at least at the beginning, A lot of people who felt very comfortable and secure and almost invincible because of their class, basically, you know, suddenly faced something that may look like 10% of the precarity that the rest of us face. Yeah. And suddenly there was this kind of shared, you know, oh, we're all in it together, let's clap for the doctors. Until the doctors literally said to, you know, my middle class neighbors, like, stop the fucking clapping, you know, give us (laughs) a wage. And that's when the interest, like, ended.
2: And when I met you at Open School East, you, I guess, were kind of describing yourself as a curator. Are you still doing anything you would call curating?
0: No, I left the art world. In fact, I joined Open School East to kind of, um, I don't know, maybe reflect on my relationship with the art world and kind of see what's, you know, am I an artist, am I a curator? And um, it kind of made me want to leave the art world altogether. Yeah. It's... You know, this is not anything to say against art or artists or the art world. I just felt that for me, the time was over for reflection. I'm not interested in decorating late capitalism, which is the kind of training that we got in, you know, in art schools and art the art world. Um, and I don't want to be in competition with my peers. So you know, there's there's very small space for curators and. I just decided that if
2: somebody want to have my space they can have it Um, it's completely understandable to me (laughs) I'm constantly wondering when to leave the art world Uh, but no especially like at the moment or since March since the pandemic really kicked off I've just been like wow art has never felt more useless I think I posted that on Instagram and loads of people rushed to the defence being like oh but what else is going to help us get through this time and I was like the type of art that's helping me is television (laughs) films uh, and like I guess what you would call popular culture which is yeah I'm not, I'm not like looking at pictures of art in galleries or I don't know
0: to say that the kind of art that is produced in art schools you know generalising here uh, is important and useful I'd say mostly for the artists as tools for reflection probably for more people but, but I agree most people kind of find joy and pleasure in television uh, and memes
1: and lights out at television centre for news the final hour of broadcasting for here as the show goes on at her new home at Broadcasting House from one o'clock
0: West London is particularly unique I think for the mix of cultures and architecture it's incredibly peaceful first thing in the morning you see your locals who you see all the time and it is like village life the local community is a very creative one and having that kind of community in West London it
2: makes it easier to live and work here and start a business here.
0: It's a unique place to live. It's affluent, yet there's fantastic um, spirit to it and it uh, oozes this kind of energy and this real authentic vibe.
1: Excuse the scaffolding. They are repairing a balcony right at the top. Sorry about the unsightly trees that have been damaged, but they will be replaced. The flats are mostly populated, only 11 left. We sold over 400 and I'd say 90% are lived in. A lot of people bought as owner-occupier. It's got the history and culture that people find exciting. It's got a great sense of community. People are very social. Having Soho House as a neighbour contributes to an active community of people too. So it's not like most new developments. The developer was keen to create a place that was a community and was conscious of how to market it and stop overseas investors who wouldn't bring anything to it. They only allowed one apartment per housing, even stopping people who wanted one for the husband and one for the wife, which is very unusual. They could afford to do it because the flats were selling so well. If they had more than one offer on an apartment, they would always favour the British buyer who would live there, or someone who had a connection to the building works in TV, etc. A well-known newsreader bought the flat that sits where his old office used to be. It really is an iconic development. There's still three television studios here. They film things like This Morning, Good Morning Britain, all the daytime shows, Jonathan Ross. So there's quite a buzz to it. All the outside space is actually public, but you don't get too many people. The developers own the whole thing, the public area too, so there's security, gardening, maintenance, 24 hours per day. If anyone was doing anything untoward, they would be stopped. Here we have a lounge space and here a co-working space. Especially on Fridays, a typical working from home day, you'll find a lot of people here with their laptops. There's tea and coffee and pastries at the side, newspapers, fresh fruit, and events are regularly organized. It's a great place to meet people. The local area is very affluent. These streets you can see here is very expensive. The house range from 2.5 to 3 million. It is a wealthy, nice West London family area. If a building looks like a council state, it is actually ex-local, privately owned.
2: We were just out of the television centre where we were shown uh, three apartments. What did you think?
0: I think I was surprised by how small they were.
2: Well, having viewed quite a lot, I was like, oh, these are quite big, I thought. But yeah, I mean, it's like over three million pounds, so... But
0: the bedrooms were tiny. I wouldn't want to live. My bedroom is way bigger. Like, I live in a normal London house. But I think,
2: like, big bedrooms don't seem to exist anymore. Like, when they build new housing. Yeah. You know, like, it's the same when I lived in Glasgow. Huge tenement flats. You'd always have, like, a bedroom that was about four times bigger than you need to, to be you Just have like no furniture swimming in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was surprised by the size of the bedrooms by the number of bathrooms. Like, mm. not every occupant needs one to. for
2: each plus one upstairs.
0: Ah, pee like simultaneously, or I don't know. Yeah,
2: does that does that ever happen? I wonder.
0: And uh, <laughs> and also the
2: quite good for COVID times though. True.
0: The quality I know it was like high quality uh, finishing whatever but it was just like fake wood throughout and like ugly as fuck and kind of okay it's not Ikea but it's like one level up in terms of the
2: kind of Yeah, I'm always amazed at how like stupid announcements like the (laughs) yeah I'm always amazed amazed how expensive interiors really just look like IKEA, but kind of. For rich people. I don't know, like, yeah, it's it's not that different. No, all
0: that kind of veneer wood, like nothing was solid. Everything was fake. Mm. Even the concrete was fake.
2: Was it fake concrete?
0: It may have been real concrete, but it was like thin. Okay. Oh, it, it was, oh, a it was like a
2: veneer. Yeah, it wasn't actual.
0: So everything was a veneer. Yeah. Nothing was solid.
2: Everything's a veneer.
0: And it's kind of, you know, when she said one woman bought a flat as is mm-hmm. with a with a kind of show flat decoration, and I'm sure lots of people do. I, I bet lots of people ask if they can pay for the furniture or whatever.
2: Yeah, some of them, some of the rooms had price lists for the furniture.
0: Okay, so it means that they're like designed for people who have like a whole idea of what you know their life should look like. Like mm. how they should live, and it's somebody else's idea.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks, fair enough, it's... I mean, like, I rent apartments, therefore I end up doing the same thing. But if I'm going to spend 3.5 million, then you might want it to, like... You might want to take a bit of control over what it looks like inside.
0: But I think they are designed for people who think this looks good.
2: Yeah. And, I guess, can't be bothered, like... Well, they're not going to paint walls themselves, are they? No.
0: But, you know, I don't want to paint walls myself ever again even though i have to do it this week i mean i'd I'd actually rather pay somebody Mm. you know what i mean but but i would choose the color i mean i wouldn't buy a flat or rent a flat that's got everything including the art the kind
2: of bizarre way you open a cupboard in the kitchen and they've got a very spaced out like high-end salad dressing (laughs) literally yeah
0: a jar of honey yeah because that's what rich people like honey Yeah. yeah So, so that's, like, they have, it's almost like, you know, the people who buy it buy a whole image, but also the people who sell it have a complete idea of what those people are. Mm. Like, they know each other because they are the same.
2: Yeah. I mean, I find the kind of shared social spaces or whatever they call them, communal spaces, I don't know, they, they were huge, actually, but it just... It never feels like anything other than, like, a high-end youth hostel to me. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, here's the co-working space, and you can lounge here, and there's pastries and coffees, and even the guys that were working there, these kind of, like, beardy, possible graphic designer architect types working from home, kind of look like, I I don't know, they don't look to me like they could even afford to live there, but...
0: But maybe the youth hostel, like, analogy is... You know, you can kind of extend it because the the whole development is super paternalistic. Like you pay loads of money, but you have everything there. You know, mm. so it's not your mum, but the developer is taking care of your health, of your entertainment. They do events. You like intellectually catered for with these like. Design books in the communal area, the art is there for you. Yeah. It's completely. Actually,
2: yeah, I was trying to check out those books. It was all design and art books. Yeah. Which makes me feel ashamed of myself. (laughs) (laughs) And also just like, oh, like who does someone have a job curating the books for like luxury property developments? 100%
0: and the art. 100%. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's just so paternalistic and so they it's you know what I said that they kind of figured out what their buyers want but they actually created them because these people probably moved from another flat that was like this and Mm. it's like they know what to expect of each other and it's that it's just those books that nobody reads and those weird plants and
2: I quite like to live there for or somewhere like that for like like rent a place for a month I'm sure there's Airbnbs probably who knows and just like document all the details like those books the yeah. kind of weird artifacts from the the days of it actually being a television center. Mm. Some of which were kind of quite amazing and, and just like wasted in this hotel. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if you remember, I was
0: really interested, borderline obsessed with follies, which are kind of yeah, artifacts that are useless. But they kind of, you know, you can invest your garden with some kind of history or some kind of meaning that you don't have yourself because you're like an up and coming, like, you know, 19th century, uh, you know, capitalist and you literally, you know, you have a personal history, but but it's kind of vacuous and, you know, and, and these are the same people, they're like up and coming and they decorate their spaces with these things that give it meaning because it's got some history mm. but they have nothing to do with that history just like the folly at the end of the garden the, yeah. the switchboard or whatever from the
2: BBC yeah apart from the ex TV executive who bought the apartment his office used to be in which that really sounds like the most depressing thing I've heard of like it's really taking working living at work to a new level or something like and- never escaping work
0: but also, like, how important I am. Yeah, but also, it was probably a lie.
2: Maybe. Oh no, I'm so naive.
0: <laughs> I think everything she said was a lie. She never works from that flat. She has no idea who lives in those flats. I think it was all a lie.
2: I definitely don't believe that, like, they would only sell one flat maximum oh. to anyone. Like, no developer does that. That is.
0: Or that they would favor a like local working family from London over some overseas like buyer bullshit.
2: Yeah. Also, to be honest, this area is like disgusting, isn't it? I mean, like the like horrible roads, westfields, fields, building sites. There's not really anything remotely nice. Like maybe the park, the Hammersmith Park, but
0: but it it's was cold. But it was never meant to be like part of real life that's why they work so hard on authenticity Mm. like they have to work on it they have to put those artifacts and plants and whatever to like give it any personality yeah because there's nothing authentic about it the whole thing is invented including the people in it
2: it's kind of weird that the floors and things were listed in the original building
0: the only authentic artifact like material thing there
2: but weirdly when they i mean they've refurbished it and even those original features in that setting just look like end up looking like kind of generic shit, really don't they Yeah. yeah
0: or like a prize kind of yeah
2: well it is i mean it was an office it's like imagine you know imagine canary wharf became a lot of the office blocks became empty and they made them into homes and they're like, oh, we're preserving the original reception desk. It would just be like, mm.
0: But they will. That's the thing. That, you know, there's going to be, I can remember, 40,000 empty offices in London now that the whole idea of work changed so dramatically. And Brexit. And, and a recession. And, yeah. and they will turn into flats, into horrid flats with no sound insulation with no privacy with you know kind of toilets and plumbing like held together with like masking tape because they mm-hmm. do it so quickly yeah and that's where people like us are going
2: to be housed in offices yeah and also if you convert an office block into a housing block you don't have to adhere to normal spatial standards for homes which is why uh, a lot of homeless people or council tenants are removed or, or put in Buildings on the outskirts of London that are absolutely tiny, terrible living conditions.
0: Yeah, but now they will be in central London,
2: probably. Like Mm. it
0: will be interesting to see how that changes, like the demographics of like areas, like I don't know, King's Cross or whatever.
2: I forgot to ask her. I mean, she the reason I don't ask is they obviously just lie. But I wanted to ask how COVID and Brexit was affecting sales. But, I mean, whatever she said would be bullshit, so it's almost not it's almost
0: Yeah, she kind of said that people... Well, in the getting, immediate term. Yeah. yeah. But also herself, like, I was quite interested in her. She was... You know, it's a job. But mm. she has to put, like, a shit-tonne of emotional labour.
2: I mean, yeah, she spent over an hour with us. It's exhausting, and every time every time she shows someone, you're saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, like, I get the feeling she's mostly just in the office, not showing people around, but...
0: No, yeah. But she's doing a sales job, like, you know, anyone in any of those shops. So Mm. you kind of, you say the same shit again and again. But she has to sell herself as a convincing kind of... Somebody that, you know, people like we would have been if we were real, kind of...
2: (laughs) If we were real.
0: Could, um... (laughs) could engage with so she's kind of sucking up to you but also mm. like being friendly so she's she's treading quite a fine line here um I don't like not being able to see people's mouths
2: <laughs> yeah i feel like you kind of miss a bit of who they are well i mean not just visually but like yeah you know the facial expression someone does when they speak and yeah i don't know wonder how mask wearing is going to impact sales of property no you're right yeah she's quite nice though she was I mean she wasn't she wasn't irritating as such she was quite she was a bit like the kind of neutral design of the apartment she wasn't too yeah. imposing
0: dressed in black inoffensive but also
2: she wasn't terribly posh no well there's a hint of like <laughs> I don't know I need to start judging people by their accent how, how, how posh their accent makes them seem but the guy on the phone that I spoke to seems like slightly terrifying to me
0: Right But she seemed like Somebody who Maybe with a slight Different Circumstances Could have worked In the shops here Maybe in the more You know Maybe not her boots But She wasn't You know Like the The class difference Between her And the people She's selling to I would say Would be quite
2: Yeah I guess Maybe certainly With these ones But I'm, I'm gonna I'm interested to know What the First, second, third batch that were sold cost, you know. uh, I guess uh, some of them were more affordable to, I don't know, people with a job. Medium (laughs) paid jobs. I don't know, whatever that is.
0: People who make money from their actual labor rather than from the labor of their like ancestors and
2: their property value, they
0: increased over the generations.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Buying a three point nine million billion house. No, you don't make Maybe that Maybe you in finance. I don't know.
0: I don't know that you make that money. I mean, what do I know? But I don't think it's the kind of money that you accumulate between whatever when you finish university and when you buy your first home. It's not just money that you make yourself.
2: No, that's an inheritance, inheritance or something, isn't it? Like it must be. I
0: mean, I don't know. I don't know anyone who or you
2: own your own company maybe or you to
0: be extremely lucky
2: some kind of CEO, executive I don't know I have no idea what money people are (laughs) to be honest (laughs) because
0: they're not huge houses I mean flats and they're not particularly glamorous Mm. (laughs) they're just like yeah
2: like if you actually say you had two kids and you actually used all three bedrooms it's kind of I wouldn't want kids in there like I mean like certainly not furnished the way it was like can you imagine a disaster the whole thing would be a pile of glass rubble
0: it would be a terrible place for children the bedrooms are tiny there's no playing space it's not the kind of space that you can mess up yeah there's no running space I mean yeah as a parent like it sounds horrendous but you kind of you go into flat or a house and you look for like running place and
2: I, I struggle to believe anyone buying a three-bedroom apartment actually uses more than one of the bedrooms, you know. Really? Well, I, m- I mean, no, <laughs> as in like, I imagine it's an individual or a couple that buy this kind of thing, not a family. Yeah. I don't imagine a group of friends live there together even, I don't know. Uh, that would, yeah.
0: And they're too small to share with strangers. Yeah. They just I mean, bump into each other. They're not big, they're not big places.
2: I so, don't know, how much rent would you pay if you lived in a 39 apartment, I wonder. I might look into that.
0: Um, would Too you, much, obviously. Would you charge rent? Let's like, say you got it, your parents bought it for you or whatever. Would you charge your mate's rent? I mean, this is something that I've been thinking a lot recently because people do that.
2: Yeah, we're talking a lot of rent for a room there, aren't we? Like, yeah. Over a grand.
0: People buy you know, properties, whatever, homes that are bigger than what they can afford and then rent it out to their friends. So effectively their friends are buying them a property, Mm. but it's never presented like that. It's always like, oh, my mate is here and, you know, I'm I'm giving them like cheap rent or whatever. But in 10 years, your mates bought you a place and they're still renting. So fuck you.
2: I guess you could Airbnb, which is even worse, possibly. But you can't Airbnb that. Who would pay? I don't know. People
0: would. Well, you would.
2: But only if you were like offering the whole place, maybe, not yeah. bedrooms.
0: Yeah, but people would. I
2: don't know. Yeah,
0: so a couple that lives there or a single person would use one bedroom and then what? And then those other two bedrooms would just stay like those An static. Office. But they would just be. Guest bedroom, I guess. They will just stay like in the brochure there'll be this kind of static places that are not lived in like you know you, you, no, no child is gonna draw on these walls
2: mm. and you know i can't even leave. imagine like having you know clothes on the floor or just like general clutter
0: well unless if you think about it as a hotel mm. because your cleaner will come and pick Oh, you'd get up your cleaner,
2: you get a cleaner obviously
0: yeah and it did feel like a hotel there's um uh, that corridor She loved it. Oh, she didn't. She just said she loved it. But it felt like a hotel. Yeah. Because it's not really a home for real people who would make it a home, I think.
2: Like most homes now built, well, at least the ones at the higher end the new ones yeah but then I'm like well what makes something feel like a home am I just used to living in like old buildings um, and I somehow believe that that makes something seem homely or like it has some kind of
0: history yeah. yeah you can imagine the people who lived there before and how they used it whereas in a place like this I mean okay it's completely new but I mean there is no history there is this kind of pretend history of the building
2: uh, there's an office history, which is, or studios, whatever they did there yeah. filming TV programmes, but that's kind of, seems so irrelevant in comparison to the fact it's now apartments.
0: Yeah, and you think like the scale, well maybe it's smaller than let's say the Barbican, which is also a kind of manufactured space, mm. but somehow it feels like it's got so much more personality. yeah. It's not made out of new shit, that is like all veneer.
2: Yeah.
0: Like you get a sense of the Barbican is a solid, <laughs> solid actual yeah. real material mm. from the world, not some mm. kind of thing that you can just scratch and there's nothing. And
2: it disappears. Especially weird that they built another layer of building, like another circle around the circle. Kinda of like enclosing the original circle in this cage or something. Mm. But I wonder what the build quality as in comparison to like the original one, I imagine it's done as cheaply as possible.
0: Yeah, but then the original one was offices, so it's like not designed to be lived in. Weirdly it felt, well everything was clad, like you you saw some walls but there was a lot of like cupboards and cladding and it just gives you that sense that yeah, it's it's all pretend.
1: This is BBC Television, broadcasting from the Television Centre. From one o'clock this afternoon, all national BBC television news will be based at the BBC's new headquarters broadcasting house in central London. Television Centre's building, shaped in the design of a question mark, was sold to developers last year. Well, the broadcaster Esther Ranson spoke to us from the stage door of Television Centre and she shared her memories of the building with us.
0: I first started working here in 1966, before you were born or thought of. I was up on the sixth floor,
1: I was a clerk. From here I cannot believe that this iconic building, I know it's a cliche, but you know, a building which is so recognizable around the world and which is so associated with fun and
0: important information. and. If you want to know who your next government is, you tune in here, and so it's all a bit of a shame. And do you know the funny thing about this place? Even now, every 10 minutes or so, there's a group of tourists who come through, fascinated by the magic of this building, being told about the Two Ronnies, and Ab and all these other things. And now, and now what?